to talk to you this morning about when stepping stones become stumbling blocks. I don't think I have ever spoken a message on this topic before, ever. Uh, I know I've talked about the principle and it might be mentioned in a sermon, but I don't think I've ever devoted the whole message to this idea that um, I want to elaborate. I was thinking last week, I guess it was, about someone that was in a church that I had served years ago as a youth pastor. And he was going into business. He had incredible talent. Um, he had as much talent for what he was going into his business as anyone I'd ever known. But it looked like his dream of making a career in that was dashed and broken. Didn't have resources, didn't have help, didn't have uh, capital to fund his business. And God put together uh, a miracle for him, just a real miracle. And uh, we all celebrated and I knew that he would do well because he had such incredible potential. I had left the church a few weeks earlier uh, to go to seminary. I graduated from Bible college and had spent some time at a, at a church as a youth pastor and now is going to seminary. And I began to um, find myself cry, crying over this person and praying for him. And for about three or four nights, I guess, I, I just kind of cried myself to sleep. I'd wake up burdened for him. And I, I said, Lord, I, I'm not sure I understand. And the Lord spoke to me in my prayer time that morning. Um, he said, write him this, tell him this, take him to Deuteronomy, uh, the, the closing part of the book of Deuteronomy, and show him what I told Israel. And I wrote to him and said, you know, I complimented him. There's so many things I could say good about you, but I've been burdened. And if I'm wrong, take this letter and throw it away. But if I'm right, please read this maybe a couple of times. And I said, this is what the Lord says. Be careful when you begin to inherit the land. I was using the language of Deuteronomy. Be careful when you see your enemies fleeing before you. Be careful when the Lord begins to bless the work of your hands that you do not forget where God has brought you from. Be careful that you do not forget that it is not the strength of your hand that has won this battle, but the strength of the Lord's hand. And I went on, the Lord spoke several things to my heart. I read it, it's, I, I, I thought I don't even have the right probably to speak into this man's life. He was a friend, but older than me and I just didn't know if I had the right to say all of that. I knew nothing about business and he, he had all the talent. And I sent it. I didn't hear anything from him. Remember, this was before cell phones and emails. And um, it, it probably took two or three days for the letter to get there. And I waited another two or three days for him to call or respond. Somehow I wanted to be sure that I heard the Lord or I didn't hear the Lord. I didn't hear from him. Now, I would uh, hear from him later 
uh, I went back home for the first time and he spent quite a bit of time talking to me. But I did hear from his wife. I got a call from her and she said, thank you for your letter. And I said, well, you're more than welcome. I said, I hope it was well received. I haven't heard anything. I was hoping I hadn't worded it poorly. Um, and she was fighting back tears. She says, no, he wanted to call you, but he cried for three days. And I said, is that a good cry or a bad cry? She said, it was a good cry because the Lord spoke through what you wrote. He said, she said, my husband, it's always been his problem. He has a tendency because he's good, because he's a good businessman, because he's talented, he has a tendency to think that he did it. And you used words and terminology that you had no way of knowing. I'd, I'd written some things I won't say. And um, she said, he knew it was the Lord. And I, she said, I've never seen him this dependent on the Lord in my life. And we've been married, I forgot how many years. I wanted to say thank you. And um, he, he died, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 years later. But he died with a very successful business. He died leaving a good inheritance to his family. And one of his sons said to me, he's a different man the last decades of his life than he was before. And his wife, he, he said, his, my mother, his wife said, it's because of those lessons that you sent out of Deuteronomy. Now, I'm, I, I didn't say that to pet, pat myself on the back. I'm just, I, I'm only doing this to let you know the context of this message. She said, everything ended differently because you reminded him that it's not the run-up to the battle that matters nearly as much as it is how you handle success. And that's what I want us to focus on today. 2020 was a year of such extremes and it was a year of profound failure, profound disappointment in things and in people, um, things that should have never been said, sermons that should have never been preached, decisions that uh, should have never been made. But at the same time, it was a, I'm, I'm talking about in general, at the same time, it was a year that God brought such mercy and such incredible grace to so many people. When we, I think the further we get away from 2020, the more we'll say farewell and good riddance. But the more we'll see that 2020 was a year of, of strange extremes. Um, I think you won't be served well if you just try to write off 2020. I think it was a time, as I said, to expose what we are, to, to show what our fears and our baggage is, as well as to reveal our faith and our strength. But... I think it's also a time of setting us up for what God wants to do in the future. And as I look back, not only over 2020, but I look back over the victory that God has brought out of 2020 in many of our lives, 
I look back over what God has always done during difficult times. Do you know that economically the most difficult time in our country's history was between 1929 and the beginning of World War II? Almost a decade uh, and a quarter of absolute uh, abysmal economics. But do you know that that was the decade of the greatest growth of the assemblies of God? You, 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 you see, we had a slogan back in the 30s. We were building eight churches every week. Eight new churches every week for a decade. We're opening in the assemblies of God. We sounded kind of like Henry Rifle, you know. Henry Rifle said, uh, load on Sunday and shoot all week long. The Assemblies of God were saying we're building a church every day and two on Sunday. God, and there's a lot I could say about that, but God did something for us when it seemed that the world was falling apart. Even some of the church world was falling apart. God said, I'm going to show you that your success is not dependent on your circumstances or your resources or your abilities a humble man named E.S. Williams led us through that period. And because Brother Williams encouraged us to put our trust in the Lord, and he said, I'll admit it's easy to put your trust in the Lord right now. We have nothing else to put our trust in. But at least our corner of the world grew. And God did other things for other people. I know that. I, I want to tell you this, loved ones. God is vitally interested as we move away from 2020 and into 2022. We're getting there faster than we realize. And, and, and I believe that what God is beginning to speak to me about 2022 is a one-word theme, fullness. Now, we'll talk about that as we get closer, but I believe we're headed for fullness but I think the most important lesson for us to learn is what do we do with our success? What do we do with our victories? I want to read to you about the moment of one of David's greatest successes, if not his very greatest success, certainly the one he's remembered for. It's in 1 Samuel 17. But David said to the Philistine, this is Goliath, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a saber. Now, for those of you that may be brand new Christians, probably even if you've never read the Bible, you know the story of David and Goliath. Goliath was measured for us. He was a, he was a man nine and a half feet tall. Most uh, of the Israelites of that day would have been about five and a half feet tall. He had armor that was too much for an Israelite soldier to carry, much less use. And, um, uh, it, well, I won't tell you that story. It'll take too long. But here this man is challenging King Saul. Saul won't respond. Jonathan won't respond. Nobody's going to respond to this man. He said, we'll have a one-on-one -on -one fight. And David takes up the challenge. He says, you come to me with a sword, a spear, a saber, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of armies or Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, 
whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me and I will strike you and remove your head from you. Then I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild animals of the earth so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. All this coming from a young man that hasn't even got his draft card yet. And all this entire and that this entire assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword or by spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will hand you over to us. Then it happened when the Philistine came closer to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. Now, we, we, those of you that went to Israel with us a couple of years ago, we were there in that valley. Uh, there was the creek bed that still exists, and most of us grabbed a rock from that creek bed. And I don't think those rocks were there then, but it was the creek bed that was there. And David picked out five stones that he was going to march into battle with. And if you remember when we were there in that valley, there was a hillside on one side and hill on the other side. The Israelites were on one, the Philistines on the other. And the, the way, the best we can tell from the scripture, both armies were up on the hillside taunting at each other, but the battleground was open. And now all of a sudden Goliath is breaking the rules. He's coming down off the, the side of the mountain, crossing the neutral zone and is about to go up the Israelites mountain. And David sees this and David takes off into a run. Not away, but toward. He ran quickly toward the battle line and David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it. Now you've got to understand, we think of slingshots, you know, like you buy and you shoot little BBs in. The, the pouch of a sling in that day would have been a little bit bigger than my hand. So it could hold a significant rock. In fact, um, Bible archaeologists have said that the stone David used, the purpose he was after, probably was a maximum load. And those slings made of two leather straps, sometimes four leather straps, and a pouch the size of my hand or so could hold a rock that weighed up to a pound. That's a big rock. It could hold a stone up to a pound and an experienced slingman could throw a stone up to a pound at speed up to 90 miles an hour. 90 miles an hour. That's almost a Nolan Ryan fastball. So imagine a baseball weighing a pound thrown by Nolan Ryan heading toward your head. It struck the Philistine on his forehead and the stone penetrated his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and the stone. He struck the Philistine and killed him and there was no sword in David's hand. David ran and took over the Philistine uh, stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and finished him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that the champion was dead, they fled. Then the men of Israel and Judah rose up and shouted and they pursued the Philistines as far as the valley and to the gates of Ekron. 
And the Philistines uh, dead lay along the way to Shaharim, even to Gath and Ekron. Those of you, if, if you remember when we were there in that valley, we said that was, that was Philistine territory. We knew where it was. Then the sons of Israel returned from their close pursuit of the Philistines, plundered their camps. And David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his weapons in his tent. Now, we could just stop here and talk about David and the one-pound rock and God's faithfulness and go home and be happy. The problem is, after every chapter 17, there's a chapter 18. I want you to know, please hear me, this is, I don't know when I felt a message this strongly as far as its importance. Victories are usually hard fought, hard won, but sometimes they are also hardly noticed. Other times when they are noticed, they are misunderstood and either overvalued or undervalued. Loved ones, please hear your pastor today. The most critical moment in your life, the most critical moment in the life of a church is not the events leading up to victory. You would think so. And sometimes that's true, but it's not the, the, the thinking that leads up to victory that is the most critical. It's the aftermath of that victory. Now we could talk about how David fought and it would be a sermon in itself. David won by three principles. Um, and these are, principles are true in our lives as well. The first one is attitude, or you can use the word purpose. Um, he said, I will do this. I will take off your head. And when he saw the giant running, he took off and ran toward the giant, not away from him. But there was also, David lived by the principle of purpose that was his attitude, but he also lived by a series of things as a result of his persistence. We can call it progression. He says, God's been in my, in my life, my whole life. God's given me little battles so I could fight big battles. He said, I've killed a lion, I've killed a bear, and you are the next trophy going on my wall. He says, I'm still growing. And David had the ability to remember what Saul and most of the army of Israel had forgotten. He remembered that the power is the power of God and the battle will be won by the Lord. The psalmist would say some may trust in horses and some will trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. But I want to tell you, loved ones, victory is also the most dangerous place to stand. And I want to just tell you my heart today. I think our church has more than its fair share of victory reports. I think a lot of times we think of a church being in revival and we think of a few weeks of extraordinary services or maybe a few months of extraordinary services. But I want to tell you, I've been here 28 years and it didn't start with me and it won't end with me. But... God has given us some phenomenal victories over the past 28 years. I remember, I remember being in a meeting when God was doing extraordinary things and having somebody say, well, I just don't see that God's doing anything special. And I wanted to give them, I would have given them a drink if it would have helped them wake up to what God was doing. Because in every church, there are those who make things happen 
There are those who watch things happen. And there are those that don't realize anything has happened. And loved ones, I want to tell you, God has given us victory after victory after victory. I wish I had time today to celebrate what we were told we could not do, but it's been done. Some of it's been done because of you and some of it's been done in spite of you. Some of it's been done because of me and some of it's been done in spite of me. But we, I think, are at a place right now where we begin to celebrate our victories. We think about coming through 2020. We think about the closing that we have scheduled in just a few days for this property across the street. We think about 22 young men and women giving their lives to the Lord. We think about the, the wonderful letter we got from missions just a few weeks ago. We can celebrate over and over and over and over. And I think there are two things we need to be aware of. You need to not be guilty of not being thankful. But you also need to understand that if the battle belongs to the Lord, the spoils of war belong to the Lord too. He gets all praise, all glory. Doesn't mean that we're everything we ought to be. Doesn't mean we're everything we're going to be. But praise God, we're not what we used to be either. I believe that we are growing in key areas and we are celebrating victories. And I just want to stop today and with all the preaching I've been doing, all the preaching I'll be doing. And I want to say this, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Lord, thank you for keeping the doors open during COVID. Thank you for supplying our need financially. I remember during the annual church council, uh, someone asked, well, how are we doing any better on paying off the parking lot? And, and we were able to say, the parking lot's been paid off. And I mean, we see that shows we probably didn't do a good enough job of celebrating it if, if not everybody knew that. But God has taken us from victory to victory to victory. And I truly believe the best is to come. But I want to say it one more time. Every victory can be dangerous. So with your permission, I want to read one more chapter. And we're going to see some key reactions to the victory of chapter 17 and chapter 18. Loved ones, I want you to do a checkup from the neck up today. And I want you to see in light of the victory that God has given us. In light, you know, some of you are saying, oh, I praise God for raising my children in this church. I praise God for what Brett and Sonia did years ago and then what Pastor Frank and Linda did and now Bella's here. Thank God for this. Thank God for what Pastor Mike and Rachel are doing in youth along with Corey and Kenny and others in years gone by. We, we've got so much to be thankful for, but we're moving out of the most disruptive year in the, in the last hundred years for churches. So what are we going to do with that? We can decide that we're going to be holding on to an attitude of partnership. I'll talk about that in a minute. We've got to decide what we're going to do with our praise. We've got to decide if we're going to let pride sink in. 
And we're going to borrow a word from the first President Bush. Whenever he didn't like something, he said that wouldn't be prudent. I want to borrow the president's word. And we want to talk about prudence. Prudence is wisdom that results in wise action. So what is marking your life? Here's number one. Well, let me read the chapter first. This is chapter 18, or much of the chapter. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that Jonathan committed himself to David and Jonathan loved him as himself. Again, for maybe you new believers, Jonathan is the prince. He is the son of King Saul, who would be uh, probably, they had not established a line of succession, but it was probably going to be that the son would replace the father. So Jonathan would be the next king. And Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house, David. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his military gear, including his sword, his bow, and his belt. And David went into battle wherever Saul sent him and always achieved success. <clears throat> so Saul put him in charge of the men of war. And it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now it happened as they were coming when David returned from killing the Philistine that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with other musical instruments. That's what you do for kings. But somebody wrote a new song. The women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now, they, they were not trying to be disrespectful of Saul, but they were trying to celebrate the new kid on the block. Then Saul became very angry for this lyric displeased him. And he said, they have given David credit for ten thousands, but to me they have given credit for only thousands. See, that's like somebody saying, well, they pay him two million or three million. They only pay me one million. Well, one million ought to be enough. Now, what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David with suspicion from that day on. Now it came about on the next day that an evil spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved in the midst of the house where David was playing the harp with his hand as usual. And a spear was in Saul's hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had left Saul. When Saul saw and realized that the Lord was with David, and, and we're jumping ahead in the story, and that Michael, it, and yes, it is pronounced Michael, it's a hard C-H. In our culture, that sounds like a masculine name, but it was the equivalent of Michelle. And um, when Saul's daughter, Michael, saw that his daughter loved David, then Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. 
Then the commanders of the Philistines went out to battle and it happened as often as they went out that David was more successful than all the servants of Saul. So his name was in high esteem, held in high esteem. Now let me talk about those words, that partnership, praise, pride, and prudence. Every one of those attitudes are available to you. Every one of them are available to me. We're going to see all four of them manifested. And I want to tell you right after victory, that's where you humble yourself before God because you are about to welcome something in your life that will set the tone for the next battle and the next battle and the next battle. Partnership. Now this was a wise thing, partnership. And it was symbolized or typified by Jonathan. Jonathan, who was next in line to be king, celebrated the victory of somebody that if Jonathan didn't handle it right, would take his place on the throne. I want to ask you a question, loved ones. Do you know how to celebrate the victory of another church? Do you know how to celebrate the victory of another pastor, pastors? Do you know how to celebrate the victory of another family, another person, another business? <laughs> My pastor used to say, if you can't shout in another man's meeting, you might not be shouting over what you think you're shouting over. <sighs> we had a revival in Pensacola that was shaking the city. It was at Brownsville Assembly, and that was before the Brownsville Revival. Uh, Brownsville was a church of about 250 in those days, but a big name evangelist had come through, and it just went for weeks, and there was a handful of people. I'm, I don't think they meant it like it came out, but they were basically talking about, boy, I wish our pastor could preach like this guy could preach. There's a move of God going on over there. And it was so hurtful to those of us that loved our pastor because we knew what our pastor meant to, to us. And the pastor was willing to close down church on Sunday night to go over there, but people didn't want to do that. And we went over there and the and pastor would just shout. He'd see God bless those people that were saying, boy, I wish Brother Stevenson could preach like this guy. And he would shout, he would celebrate, he'd go in the altar and pray for them. And I was, I was, I was mature and wise and at least for 15 years old. And I remember <laughs> thinking, and I said to my mom, I said, how, how can he pray for those people? They're, they're betraying him. And I even asked him about it. And that's when he said, if you can't shout in another man's meeting, you're not shouting for what you think you're shouting for. And he celebrated and he just took an attitude uh, like Jonathan. But for Jonathan to celebrate David, the result would eventually be the lessening of himself. See, and I don't know if Jonathan really understood that. I think he did because later he told David, he said, I know you're going to be the next king of Israel. I know that the Lord's hand is upon you because he's rejected my father. And this is what Jonathan said. But David, know this. When you sit as king, I will be sitting at your right hand as your most loyal servant. 
He understood what John the Baptist would understand. The Bible says all of Jerusalem went out to hear him. And I don't think that meant every single person in Jerusalem went out to hear John, but it meant all kinds of people, every social class, every group went out to hear John preach. And then right at the height of his popularity, John says, I need you to know this guys. He must increase, but that means I must decrease. See, that's the idea of partnership. There's not a trace of jealousy in Jonathan. In fact, the bond between these two men transcends uh, the lifetime of both of them. If anyone had reason to be jealous, it was Jonathan, but he knew David's heart and he knew the heart of God. So loved ones, this is what I want to open to you. When we celebrate what God is, and first of all, you need to begin to celebrate. Don't say, well, we were just lucky or, well, it could have been better if so-and-so had led better or whatever. No, if you're going to really enter into partnership with what God is doing, do like Jonathan and celebrate what God did even if you are not in the limelight. Here's the second thing that's before you. We're all probably going to praise. We're all going to praise. I remember when I was pastoring a church that was, it, it, it was, oh, I don't know, maybe 110 people. And I'd worked hard for a couple of years and Given it my best efforts, and that 110 people had grown to about 80 people. And um, somewhere in there. And there was a man in the same town that had an impossible financial burden that he had to deal with. And he led the church through it. And I was in a group thinking, you know, I, I'm, you know we're, all, we're all celebrating, we're all praising. And um, I said to the, the superintendent, said, I can't believe this man had the hand of God upon him to lead them through this difficult circumstance. And I said uh, to myself, I said, Lord, why didn't you lead us through our difficult circumstance? We have, we, have, we have to have a decision each week over which utility are we willing to risk not keeping on because we couldn't pay all of our bills. And I said to the superintendent, I was so hurt, and I think he understood it and had mercy on me. But I said, well, it's great to have, to lead a church and meet needs like this when you've got something to work with. So childish of me, so silly of me. I'm so ashamed that I said that. I should have known better. I wasn't 15 anymore. And he looked at me and said, he didn't have it to work with. And I, I, felt the, I felt so ashamed, but I felt the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And I realized my biggest problem is not the bills we couldn't pay. My biggest problem was the bitterness that I could only, that I could only celebrate a certain way. And thank God he took that out of me. And I praise the Lord for that. What Jonathan did was a good thing. What the women did was a mixed thing. It was manifest by the women of Israel. Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands. It's understandable what they were doing, but it was misdirected. It was misdirected. And loved ones, hear me. There's a delicate balance here. We ought to recognize victories. We ought to recognize achievements. But it's difficult 
to honor men and women the right way. We have to learn for our praise for the victory to be in context and proper measure. See, sometimes a pastor will take all the credit for a church having a miraculous financial thing and it never occurs to the pastor that it was the people's giving that made all the difference. So the pastor, oh yeah, somebody's got to lead, but the pastor should realize immediately, I, th this bill isn't paid because of me. This bill is paid because of the faithfulness of God's people. Now we ought to thank people. Paul thanked people for their help and he honored people for their ministry. But the accolades that are given, everyone clearly understood that honor and glory belongs to the Lord. If, if the ladies had, had added one more verse or one more line to that song, where everything resorted back to the Lord, I've never been a proponent, and you know this, I've never been a proponent of people that dishonor people by not accepting their compliment. You know, oh, you did good on that song today. Well, it was just the Lord. Every time I hear that, I want to say, it wasn't that good. It wasn't that good. And I, and I understand no, no, hear, hear me now, hear me now, because I don't want to be critical of folks that do that. Those that say, well, it was just the Lord. They are right in this respect. They want to give the glory and honor to the Lord. But I also want you to know that when someone is paying you a compliment, it's difficult enough for people to pay a compliment. You need to learn to accept that compliment and not reject the gift. And you say, well, that's, that's a... That's like walking a tightrope. Exactly. It is. It's walking a tightrope. You want to acknowledge people's efforts. Paul did that. Jesus did that. Read his message to the seven churches in Revelation. Every one of those churches that he could brag on, he bragged on them. But we have to find the balance of, Justin, you did good. Glenn, you did great. And we all, Justin says, thank you. But Justin, Glenn, everybody knows, oh, God has blessed us and made things come together for us. So you find that balance of saying thank you for someone that says, Justin has slain his thousands and Glenn has slain his ten thousands. We say thank you, but both Justin and Glenn need to understand that at the end of the day, it's the Lord's faithfulness. See, everything, I, I'm so thankful that, and, and I know, I know it, it, it's not over till the ink is dry, but you know, we're getting ready to close on this property. And every time I go by that property, I, I, I sing, I shout, I cry. I say, Lord, you have solved so many problems for our future. So many problems for our future by this wonderful family being willing to sell this property to us. But I, I'm, I, I'm, I realize that it's all because of him. We couldn't, we couldn't own a square foot of that land without the Lord, even though there's, a, there's thanksgiving that needs to be given to so many people on so many levels. So you've got to decide what you're going to do with your praise. Um, if we forget this, I'll tell you what will happen. If we forget to handle praise the right way, 
And we might, we might do good with partnership. If we forget to handle praise the right way, we'll end up like Israel that found out that with God, mighty Jericho fell. But when they forgot God, tiny Ai brought defeat because of the sin of Achan. So we've got to remember um, that not only does the battle belong to the Lord, but the spoils of war belong to the Lord. Let me wrap this part up by just giving you an example. I think that we need to accept appropriate appreciation, but all of us, we don't have to throw back the person's gift, but whenever somebody, you say, pastor, what are you doing? Somebody says, oh, that sermon is such a blessing to me. What do you say? I say, thank you. I am so glad. Um, and and we, we need to remember that. But every time I say thank you, I'm so glad that the sermon helped you. My mind immediately says, Lord, thank you for making it happen. Thank you for making it happen. See, if I brought a birthday gift to Pastor Corey and he says, thank you, I wouldn't say, well, it's not really me. If the church didn't pay me a salary, I wouldn't be able to do this. And if my wife didn't let me have some money out of the allowance, you know, I wouldn't be able to do No, he's saying, thank you for thinking of me. And I say, you're welcome. Okay. It's the idea of be ye kind one to another. Can I give you just one more pet peeve? This is officially not thus saith the Lord. So let me move over here just so I don't say it behind the pulpit. Um, Sometimes I'll say, oh, that's so kind of you. Or they'll, somebody will say something, I'll say, that's kind. And they'll say something like this. I'm not being kind, I mean it. And loved ones, I don't know where in your word studies that you thought kind is to lie. <laughs> we, we have somehow begun to think that your kind means you lied. That's not really true, but you were being nice. No, that's, why would Paul say, be ye kind one to another? No, kindness is not a lie. If you're saying something that's not true, that's not kind, that's lying. You see, if, if, I, if I can say, oh Lord, I'm so thankful. Pastor, your message helped me. Thank you. God bless you. That means so much to me. You've made my day. I mean that. But inwardly, I say, Lord, you, you're, the, you're responsible. See, there's a great benefit to that because if I feel like I've got to hold on to the credit, I've got to hold on to the blame too. See, if, if, I, if I have the right attitude and somebody says, Pastor, I, I was hoping after all these years you'd, you'd finally learn to preach, but you still make me so mad I can't see straight. Well, if I, if I give all the glory for the Lord for praise, then I'm able to say, Lord, you said, blessed are you when men hate you and revile you and say all manner of evil against you for my sake. I said, Lord, I, you get the credit, you get the blame, you can handle it all. But if I insist on holding to the glory, you guys with me? Then I got to hold on to the blame. It's just a, just something to think about. Now let's go to the third thing. I, 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 can, I can embrace partnership where even if it costs me or even if it doesn't enhance my standing, I am going to partner with what God is doing. 
even if my name wasn't in the limelight, okay? I need, I'm going to be careful with my praise. I'm going to understand what's at the heart of what just happened. So I thank people who need to be thanked, but I know that at the heart of it, God is the one that provides. Number three is the option of pride. Now you can be a partner, you can be a praiser, or you can be full of pride. This is an unwise thing. It was manifested by Saul. The Bible says that from the moment Saul heard that song, from the moment Saul heard that song, he began to distrust David more and more and more. And it, his distrust turned to anger, jealousy, and then fear. And the Bible says an evil spirit from the Lord. That's one of the toughest phrases to understand in the Old Testament because in the Hebrew mindset, when it says something like um, an evil spirit from the Lord, God does not have a group of special agents, evil spirits that work for him. Um, you know, um, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. That wasn't a, a fatalistic, capricious God saying, I'm going to harden his heart. He won't even be able to believe. No, it was the idea of cause. When the writer said the Lord hardened his heart, it wasn't God said, Zzz. Saul's response to the Lord's dealing was a hardened heart. So therefore in a Hebrew mind, the Lord hardened his heart. Okay. And when it says an evil spirit from the Lord, you can look at it from a Western mindset a different way. You can say that the Lord lifted his hand from Saul. See, the Bible tells us in Corinth, you guys still with me here? Now, don't be kind. Are you, are you still with me? Okay. No, I'm teasing. In Corinth, there was a man that was living in an abominable sin, sexual sin. And this is what every church in this present age needs to understand the church in an attempt, maybe, I don't know, to be unoffensive, to be politically correct. I don't know what they were thinking, but they said, we're going to, it's, it's okay. It's okay. God blesses all kinds of love. God, you know, God, we don't want to be judgmental of anybody. The church in an act of tolerance, God said, you're puffed up with pride. You think your estimation of this is as important as my estimation of this. So what did God say through Paul? Paul said, this is what the Lord says we're going to do. I am going to turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that maybe his soul can be saved. In, in other words, he says, we're asking God to lift his hand of protection off of this life so that maybe God can save him, even if it means going through hell on earth. Loved ones, we better take this idea of holiness very, very seriously. We better think through how much stock we want to put in our politics. And we better understand that no church is any greater than to the degree to which it stands on God's word. 
But what did God do? He turned that man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, when Antichrist is revealed, Paul said this to the Thessalonians. He says, that day will not come until the man of sin be revealed. And he said, people that uh, welcome the man of sin, he said, they will resist the truth. They will reject the truth. They will believe a lie and be damned. And he phrased it this way. For this reason, God turned them over to a reprobate mind. To our high schoolers, to our SESL students, to our college students. I want to tell you, I know it is not popular. I know it's called hate speech. But you need to quit getting your worldview from Hollywood and from the internet. And you need to understand there is something more important than popular opinion. And it is the word of God because this is what God said. He says, you can be wrong and he'll correct you. <coughs> you can be mistaken and he'll work by the spirit to make it right. But when you refuse to believe, at some point you're turned over. You're turned over to a lie. That's what happened with Saul. And there's a quote from a book, A Tale of Three Kings. It's one of the books I recommend to everybody, especially young Christians. David says this in the, in the book, A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. He said, I was not an Absalom when I was young, and I will not be a Saul when I become old. Loved ones, that ought to be on everyone. Those of you that are young, you make up your mind right now. I, no matter how right I think I am, no matter how pretty my hair is, no matter how much the, the, the opposite sex loves me, no matter how much I think I've got wisdom to do this, that, or the other, I will not set my hand against what God has established David said, I was not an Absalom. I never turned my back on Saul. I never dishonored Saul. I never mistreated Saul. He said, I was never an Absalom. And now that I am Saul in age, he said, I will not become as Saul did. I will not be marked by hatred, by rebellion. Loved ones, I, I want to tell you, my prayers, my heart is broken as much for good church people with bad attitudes as it is for rebellious renegades out there in the world. I tell you what, you can take the most immoral, unbiblical person on the street and sometimes I look into their eyes and I think there's more hope than people that sit in a church like this every Sunday and roll their eyes or complain about this, that, or the other. They don't understand that God was about to do something new and everything Saul did was to re remove him from the possibility of redemption. You know, Saul had already been rejected. by It had already happened. But Saul could have even redeemed that last moment. Even Manasseh, who did more wrong than any of the kings before him. Even Manasseh turned to the Lord in the end and God was merciful. He, he, everything wasn't set right, but God was merciful. Elijah said, you told me you're going to kill him. Uh, this is the Chitty Revised Standard Version. And God said, but Elijah, didn't you notice how his heart 
was tenderized. And God dealt graciously with Manasseh. Manasseh, the most wicked king in Israel, it's just in one verse. But Manasseh spent his last years trying to get the people of Israel to turn back to God. But they wouldn't listen to him. Saul could have died a hero. Saul could have said, kids, don't live your life like I lived mine. I had so much before me and I blew it and God has judged me and I deserve the judgment, but don't go down the path I did. But all he did was let it get worse and worse and worse. Okay, here's the last one, prudence. This was a humble thing and this was manifested by David. Now the partnership was by Jonathan. The praise thing was by the women. The pride was by Saul, but prudence was by David. Prudence is described as virtuous wisdom. You say, Pastor, why did you choose prudence? That's such an odd word because I looked in the synonyms and couldn't find a better P for what I was trying to describe. But prudence is a good word. It's just one we don't use often. Prudence is described as virtuous wisdom that directs action adequately towards an end. In the Victorian era, prudence was one of the leading names for young women because it was a compliment to a woman to be prudent because she had wisdom that always made everything flow in the right direction. It was the ability to understand the wise thing to do, a humility of life. Now, Levins, don't leave me. Let me wrap this up because I know we're almost out of time. Praise either does something good or bad to you depending on what you have cultivated in your life. Listen to Proverbs 27, 21. It's one of the most overlooked Proverbs in the Bible. The crucible is for silver and the furnace for gold. This is in your notes, right? Okay, in the, in the furnace for gold. And each is tested by praise accorded him. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a little hard to follow. So let me read it to you from the New Living Translation. Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but a person is tested, not by fire, but by being praised. You want to be tested? Don't, don't say, boy, the Lord's really testing me. I'm really going through the hard times. That, that's, that's, that might be a test, but that's not the test. The test is when you are praised. And every time a church has a victory, every time a person has a victory, every time a family has a victory and someone praises you for it, it brings to the surface of your life either spiritual gold and silver or all kinds of crud that needs to be burned away. Adrian Rogers said this. He said, some people are impossible to get along with because they think they're impossible to get along without. <laughs> what was David's response? David's response. Remember, they, they said, the Saul, Saul wants to give you his daughter. And after being the, the headliner... David said, who am I that I should be the king's son-in-law? See, even after all of this praise, even after Saul trying to kill him, even after he would have won an election hands down, 
David maintained prudence, a humility that said, who am I that I should be the king's son-in-law? That's why he was able to write Psalm 131. Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes arrogant, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. I have certainly soothed and quieted my soul like a weaned child resting against his mother. My soul within me is like a weaned child. Israel, wait for the Lord from this time forevermore. David was saying, Lord, I, 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 I am the king. I am the king, but I know I don't know everything. I know I don't understand everything. A child sometimes thinks their way is not only the best way, but it's the only way. But he said, I'm like a weaned child that understands sometimes the best place to be is with my head on mama's bosom. Just resting, just waiting, letting mama and daddy take care of all of life. So what are you going to do with God's blessing on our church? What are you going to do with it? What are you going to, what are you going to do when all the virus stuff is passed and we're still standing? What are you going to do when people that should have been here, could have been here, but weren't here want to come back? You're going to say, let me give you a tour of the church. You've been gone so long, you might not remember where things are. Do you know that in church history, the church became Free. The church became legal under Roman, from Roman domination. It was not made the official religion yet, but it was made legal. And do you know that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ basically split in two in North Africa? I'll tell you why. Because there were those that denied the Lord in order to feed their families. And there were those that would not deny the Lord. And they remained faithful. You say, well, they should have not denied the Lord. I understand. But do you know what the ones who remained faithful did? They made them go through a probationary period where they had to wear sackcloth and ashes to church. And they had to come forward and say that we have failed the Lord publicly and we renounced his name. They basically were on parole to pay for their defection. I'll tell you something, the church in the 300s did not let their stepping stone profit them. Their stepping stone became a stumbling block. I've never seen a time in my life, and don't think there's ever been a time in American history where the church is as divided right now over political matters, spiritual matters, social matters. We have... We have we are living in the midst of an absolute miraculous intervention of God. And we're still demanding that everyone hold our point of view. And if they don't, they're either a communist, a socialist, a racist, or a Laker fan. <laughs> I think you understand what I'm saying. Loved ones... God has allowed this to rise up in us so that we can deal with it. 
He's allowed it to rise up so we can deal with it. What are you going to do with it? Well, no, I'm saying we are on the brink of a, of, of a tremendous miracle at our church and God has given us miracles. What are you going to do? Are you going to partner with what God is doing? Are you going to, to skew the account by not understanding who really gets the praise? Are you going to be prideful and, well, if I'm not at the top of the list, I don't even want to be on the list. If my department isn't the one being spotlighted, I'm not going to honor anybody else's spotlight. Or are you going to say, God has used me. God has used our church. God has used our family. But, but who am I to think that I should be rewarded for that? I'll tell you what I want. I, I, I want to I be with the king. Not, not Saul, the king that's coming. I, I, I know it's going to cost me to be with the king. But I want to be with the king. Oh, we're going we're gonna to give praise and thanksgiving and appreciation to where it's due. But every trophy we hand out, every gift card we give, every applause that we offer, we know. And the person receiving it knows. We know that we're just doing what Jesus said to give honor where honor is due. But at the end, and when the applause stops, we know that it's carrying right up to heaven. And do you have the grace to say, I am going to live a life that will lead to peace and harmony. I'm going to live a life. Do you know what will happen if we can do that? God will see that we can handle victory. And he'll give us another one. He'll give us another one. God has all kinds of victories. He's just looking for people with a steady hand that can receive it. We got to pray. If there's a weakness in this church, I think it's that y'all listen so slow <laughs> that I have to keep going and keep going and keep going. Oh, no. Not true. Father, you know, I, I know there are people here. There may be some people that need Jesus. There may be some people here that need healing. There may be some people here that need a job, <coughs> have financial need. Lord, the list goes on and on and on. And I know you're able to help us. But Father, what I want us to do at least first, at least first, is decide what we're going to do with this success called Christian Life Church? What are we going to do? When, when we begin to walk on new land, when we begin to talk about new programs, when we begin to take steps that maybe we don't even see right now, what are we going to do? Father, Take everything, I, I'll just lead the way. Take everything out of me that is jealous, that is petty, that makes me feel like I deserve to be patted on the back all the time. We all need it sometime. 
Lord, you're doing an incredible thing in this world. You are, through shaking everything that can be shaken, you are preparing us for unshakable days. Father, before we leave, before we turn off the TV, take our waffle plate to the sink or whatever, I'm asking you to speak to us if there's anything in us that ought not be there. If there's anything in us that's petty, take it away. May we have the devotion of Jonathan. May we have the, the, the wisdom of David and Lord, help us to be praisers, but help us to praise well. God, may we not walk in pride because that results in anger, jealousy, frustration. And all we want to do is hurt people because we no longer trust them. Father, some of your choice servants are struggling with that right now. Help us. Help us.